Welcome to episode 24 of Cake Watch, the breakfast podcast about having your cake and eating it. My name is Steve Bullock. I'm an ex-negotiator for the UK in the EU, and I'm here with my friend and colleague. Chris Kendall, a Eurocrat, filthy Remainer, and here in a strictly personal capacity. Uh, Chris, and I, Chris and I are in, a, in quite a good mood unusually today because uh, we had a very nice lunch today with uh, Mr. David Hennig, who was in Brussels. Uh, well, I mean, you're in a better mood than I am because I had um, I had a breadless <laughs> burger, which was every Chris, bit as miserable as you can imagine. Chris thought he would take an internal stand against his own better judgment and desires and go for a, a healthy option, and consequently he didn't enjoy his lunch as much as me and David did. Uh, but we'll be hearing from David, who is a, a trade expert, XDIT, um, and uh, an excellent speaker, really interesting and funny guy, and uh, we'll be uh, uh, patching in that uh, segment that we recorded with him in a pub in Place Luxembourg in Brussels uh, later on in the episode. But today, uh, we never say that never say the Cake Watch doesn't listen to listener feedback. Um, it was pointed out last week that we uh, have been moving towards being a bit more newsy and reactive. And we were doing fewer themed episodes, so we thought we'd bring one back. Um, so what we're going to do, which, what theme are we going to do today, Chris? <laughs> um, uh, what we're going to talk about, well, if we have a people's vote, what, what would that look like? And what would a, what would a successful campaign look like? Um, this was the idea that we got from listener and friend of the show, and indeed one-time guest of the show, Laura. Laura Shields. An almost substitute presenter of the show, but she couldn't make it, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, she'll be back, I'm sure. Yes, I'm sure she will. So, yeah, so today we're going to talk about um, all things People's Vote. Although, if we can begin with the name. I hate the name People's Vote. Do you know what? So do I. Yeah. I hate everything about it except the fact that we've got to have it in order to get out of this bullshit. I, yeah. actually, I do actually genuinely hate yeah, the whole yeah. idea. I, th- I just think it's just horrifying, but it's just the only way out. I mean, it would be it would be absolutely ghastly. Um, it would be an awful experience for all concerned, but not as awful an experience as the alternative. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. But I, I saw that Gina Miller was criticising the calling it the people's vote. What's she calling it? Um, I don't, I don't, I didn't read on. I didn't read the headline. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> um, I don't know what her alternative suggestion was. The original one was was final say, which I quite liked actually. Um, for all, and then that expanded into final say for all, which I think is a is a is a is a good idea actually. Yeah, well, the problem with final say, um, which was um, um, somebody, I think it might even have been Simon the Stylet. He somebody came back to me on this. I might be. I might n- be. It's not a final say. Yeah, saying hang on a second, you can't say it's final because if you say it's final, then why can't they say it's final? And they're like, well, no, it's not final, as in. Right, we're going to have one, and then nobody's ever allowed to talk about it ever again. It's final, as in it's at the end of the process. It's at the end of the withdrawal agreement negotiations, and that's the final say. And I think, yeah, I mean, some people have said it's not final because we don't know how much detail will be in the uh, withdrawal agreement. I mean, we talked about that a bit with Blind Brexit, and we'll talk about that yeah. again this week, I think. Um, but 
it's the last moment in the, it's potentially the last moment in the process that you can stop the process. I think mm-hmm. that's the that's what's final about it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's um, no. I mean, I do pre- I do prefer that. I mean, people's vote is wasn't wasn't the first one a people's vote as well. I mean, it was. was it? Uh, well, I mean, in, well, in the sense that pe- there were people and they voted. Not yeah, all of them, but I mean, you know. I, yeah, I, yeah. I just think it's. I think it's. Uh, I, I know that it. Um, I know that it pulled very well, and the focus groups liked it and so on. But that was that was some time ago. Now. You know, I, now I, that there's, to- there's widespread talk about it, I'm not sure it's quite so necessary. But, you know, to, I, I was, you know, but there we go. I was um, out uh, at the weekend um, on the high street and I was not um, myself taking part in um, the Brexitometer um, campaign, but I was I was there watching them do it. <laughs> oh, that's nice, lazy. Chris, to just stand idly and watch while other people work. That's yeah, great. That was, that's what I did. But it was interesting. So Thank I was chatting to um, so I was chatting to um, chatting to Andy, who is um, Remainer now on Twitter, and uh, he was ah, one of, cool. He was one of the South Bucks group out um, on Burnham High Street last weekend. Um, so he started the Remainer now <laughs> hashtag and the website and everything. That's he did, yeah. I mean, oh, that's superb. Yeah. That's great work. Huh? Absolutely no, and and you know, I mean, I, I said on at the time, and hats off to these guys. I mean, they're really doing an amazing job, um, volunteering, giving up their weekends, um, going out there and talking to people. And I couldn't do it seriously. I mean, I would, I just, I couldn't do it. But definitely um, well, not. No, you know, because you people come up and start shouting at you, yeah. and they're just generally, and I just, oh, you know, I couldn't do it. I would just, I would get too ragy myself. I would just start shouting at people, and it would all, it would all go off, and it'd be terrible. But um, where was I going with this? Um, yeah, the people's vote thing. No, there, there was yeah. there was a couple of. It was interesting how I was standing there chatting, um, and a couple of people sort of came by and said, "Yeah, we should have a people's vote. It only makes sense. We should have a people's vote. Why can't we have a people's vote? It should be the people who decide." You know, it, it does seem uh, to okay, register yeah. with with you know it, it gets across in a way, and I think it's yeah. a very it, it, it neatly it neatly challenges. The whole will of the people bullshit, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and no, I that's true. Make, I mean, it does. Argue? It does enforce that it's um, yeah, the, the will of the people is a uh, is a moving moving target over time. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, what do you want to start with? Should we start with the how? Um, yeah, I mean, because what, what, one of the sort of central objections to it um, to having. Are we going to call it? We should get the nominal. Are we going to call it a people's vote? We're going to call it the that because that's, episode? yeah, we are, and we, we've registered the fact that we don't particularly like it, but I think we're going to have to call it that. Yeah. So we're, okay, that's agreed. We're going to call it a people's vote, right? So I mean, one of the uh, most reasonable and most worthy of attention objections to a people's vote, um, oh, final say, referendum, <laughs> is that there isn't. There simply isn't time and the mechanism and so on to do it. Mm-hmm. And this has been argued very eloquently several times by uh, by several people, but probably most prominent of, of them, David Allen Green, who we're, we're both a, a big admirer of, um, <clears throat> who said that, you know, the, the original referendum took 13 months from legislation to, uh, to it taking place. And as we know, there were serious deficiencies with it. There were serious deficiencies with legislation, with the secondary legislation, um, <clears throat> the question wasn't ideal in in hindsight either. Um, so they took thirteen months to get it 
to get it wrong, um, and that therefore there just isn't time to do it properly and to do it right. And wouldn't it be beset by the same problems even if you even if you did? Um, I think those yeah those are two kind two kind of questions. And I mean my view on the timing. Well, on one side you have others who say. Uh, Look at Greece. They had a referendum the week after, you know, with a week's notice um, on the. You keep me right here, Chris. On the on the bailout package, you know, you can order, you can organize a referendum very, very quickly if there's the will to do so. Mm. Now, I'm not with them either. I don't think it can be done in a week. I don't think it can be d- done in a month or two either. You need a campaign period. You need a period of perda for the civil service. You know, you have to work backwards on the backwards on all of the things that are needed. What I think you can do is you can extend Article 50. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think this is the, the answer to it. And I think that um, my, view, my view from, you know, speaking to people in Brussels is that, the, and I think there have been some public statements about this, that, you know, if it was for democratic processes, then an extension to Article 50 could be, yeah. could be given. Yeah, I, th- I think it's... I mean, a, do you agree about that, Chris? I do. I, th- I think it's... Uh, it, it's I don't think it's controversial to say that there isn't time to um, have a referendum between now and Brexit Day without um, without postponing Brexit Day. I mean, I think that's yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's, that's absolutely true. I think, yeah, um, but yeah, for me, I, I see all sorts of problems getting to a people's vote, but one of them isn't the timing. I mean, to me, as long as a firm political commitment is made to a people's vote before the 29th of March next year, that's all we with need. An explicit, with an explicit request for an extension to EU27. Yes, as long as you get that, and of course there's certainly time for that, but what's not clear yeah. to me is how we get to that. You know, how we get from here to, you know, where, where, where Theresa May, the Prime Minister, who, who she, <laughs> she seems unflushable, <laughs> um, <laughs> <coughs> who shows absolutely no sign whatsoever of deviating from this absolutely pig-headed bloody difficult woman um oh, oh god there was more of that wasn't oh, there i know Jeez. there was more of that this this the, this, Robin, the nick robinson documentary and, oh, and and and, and she she so she 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 shows no sign of deviating in any way from this rigid insistence that um mm. It'll either be the deal that she negotiates, which everybody's calling a checkers plan, but it's going to, it's going to have nothing to do with checkers. Obviously. It'll have nothing whatsoever to do with um, checkers. No, the deal that she negotiates or no deal, uh, which all along people have been saying, well, no, you can't have that. That's ridiculous. You can't have a straight option between, you know, um, shit and, and desert, you know, catastrophe. <laughs> More That's shit. ridiculous. Um, loads but, of know, shit still, and fuck loads yeah. of shit. Yeah. But what's interesting is that... Um, I don't know. It's all been it's like ancient history when we started discussing about all this, and I've, I've kind of forgotten it all. It's all, but we've forgotten your lines to take. Chris. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I kind of have, but Keir, so Keir Starmer's intervention was that particularly surprising? I mean, his intervention where he says, "Look, no, you can't have you can't have an op, uh, a choice between." I mean, it isn't a meaningful vote if the options are my shitty deal or no no deal. I think I think when we first talked about this twenty odd episodes ago, we said all. I think one of us said almost that sentence, possibly possibly both of us. You know, um, yeah. So uh, so yeah. I mean, I don't think 
I, mean, I don't think that I don't think that's particularly contentious either. Well, no, but, um, what, but, but what did the Keir Starmer is saying it though? Yeah, that, Kist- I, that, he, that he's being explicit about that. I think it, it is he, yeah. is fairly significant. What um, what I would draw everyone's attention to, I tried to draw everyone's attention to it on Twitter yesterday. Anyway, by saying it was an exceptionally important thread, but then not that many people. <laughs> I did. I did. You read it? Okay. Was um, it wasn't one of mine. I wasn't saying one of mine was exceptionally important. By the way, that would be. Uh, that would be a bit much. But they're all exceptionally important, Steve. Oh, thanks, Chris. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just throw them up and you hit them. Oh, that's good. Um, was uh, Raphael Hoggers? I don't know if people know Raphael Hoggers, but he's a very good, a very, very good follower on Brexit. He um, is a, a political columnist for the Times, I believe. Um, although we'll put a correction if that wasn't true. Spoiler: um, We won't. Hang on, I'm going to click on him here. Uh, but but uh, yes, leaders and columns for the for the for the Times. Yes, he is. And he, he but he also did the he also co-authored the Institute for Government report into uh, how is how a, a, a referendum could happen. Yeah, but this was before the meaningful vote uh, votes on the on the Withdrawal Act. Um, so on the Withdrawal Act, <clears throat> um, but he's done another thread. Um, and given some links to very good articles on, you know, how the nuts and bolts could could work for this. And and what it comes down to is essentially the same as before the meaningful vote thing, that uh, when the motion is brought on the withdrawal agreement and the political declaration, they do go together, is brought to the Commons, they, they don't necessarily just have the option of voting for or against it. They can amend the motion. And they can amend the motion to put conditions on their approval of the deal or, I'm quoting directly here, or to direct the government to try to renegotiate aspects. Now, this isn't absolutely legally binding, but as, as, as Raphael says, <clears throat> uh, it's very unlikely the government could possibly survive if it simply ignored the, the Commons instructions formally in a motion um, on the most important question uh, that's, that's ever faced ever faced them possibly um so uh so there is a sort of there is a technical method towards this a lot of it depends on whether the speaker will allow the motion to be amendable but i had a rumor that one of the reasons he he wants to stay on until this is done is so that he can he can ensure that actually you know that would so that would be how it would have to happen and then the government would have to act on that so it'd have to bring a bill for a referendum and it would have to go and extend article 50 um, <clears throat> I don't know about you. I mean, the more I talk about this, the more uh, the more possible, but politically unlikely. Yeah, I, I think, pra- think this is where it, I it am. becomes more practically possible, but this less is where I am. It's a, it used to be when we started out doing this. Um, it was still, you know, a, a figment of uh, fevered Remainer imagination. Um, it was not getting any kind of traction with mainstream um, UK politics. And that has definitely changed over the course of this year. It is oh, now, yeah, I mean, it's a standard especially option since the in, summer, yeah. it is now very much on the on the agenda. You've got Sadiq Khan now coming out this week. You've got the BBC now having people come in and talk about it. And that's you know largely down to um, uh, Eloise Todd and her and and and, yeah. and 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 you know I mean that, it's fantastic work by them. They have done an absolute. I mean they've got, done a, a blinder of a campaign for for a people's vote. The kind of campaign that we should have done for. <laughs> For, for for remain yeah but and with and, and and with it of course the 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 idea that brexit doesn't have to happen 
yes, is, exactly. now a mainst- exactly. is now an entirely mainstream yes. idea. I mean, this yes. was a year ago. It was Cranks. Yeah, and like I think me. I think you even had you even had you Nick know. Robinson on the Today program this week um, saying if Brexit happens, yeah, which is absolutely which which <laughs> is yeah. For wow. two years, BBC said when. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And you know, I mean, yeah, that was a BBC there, was it was BBC been, uh, direct um, editorial direction, wasn't it? It was a directive, yeah, an editorial yeah. directive. Was we're not going to open the question of this is happening, and we're not even going to question it. And it seems that 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 has been softened by 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 the look of it. And a lot of people are worried that it's too late, but I think it was always going to be late. Well, listen, yes. This, now, this is where my butt comes in. So, it was always going to be late. It was always going to happen this way if it's going to happen this way. And it's happening this way. But um, it's one thing for there to be a big groundswell in public opinion in favour of a people's vote and lots of big-name politicians crying for a people's vote. It's another thing entirely for the politics in Westminster and within the Tory party to allow for this to happen. Because in order for it to happen, yep. as you say, yep. it has to be, the government has <clears throat> to actively <clears throat> propose this as legislation, as a bill, and ask for a deferral. And that all, that all has to happen within the next six months. And that just seems to me to be such a long shot. Well, I mean, I, I think this was, um, this was actually central to David Allen Green's point about it. It's not just the timing, it's it's also that neither of the main political both of the political par- main political parties have said that this is out of the out of the question to varying degrees. Um what I would say to that though is it doesn't require a massive change. I mean for for these amendments you only need what, sixteen or twenty Tory rebels Plus the plus, Labour Party. Plus, plus, plus all of the opposition parties except the DUP and the indep- independent Lexit Party. Yeah, um, you, you say all you need, but but what you're saying there is you need the um, Corbyn leopard to change its spots. And I, but it, you give, know, but it gives, but it gives them, a, but it gives them a way out. We're getting to the point. Well, I can see. We'll, I we'll can, see. We'll see at the conference. But we're getting. Yes, we're getting oh, we to the. I mean, the there have been over a hundred motions from. Constituency Labour parties on this. I think there's, I think, a, there's a huge campaign of uh, the left against Brexit. There's a campaign of Labour against Brexit. I think um, it's, it's. I think the it's, trade unions are very, very significant in this. The trade this. unions are coming out for it. This is very, very significant. And at a certain point, there won't be. Uh, I mean, firstly, if it if it becomes clear that anything other than a small renegotiation of the of the political declaration would be absolutely out of the question from EU twenty seventh point of view. I mean, yeah, okay, there might be there might be tweaks to the political declaration that could be made in a month that they might give an extension for. Um but Labour is not going to sustain its base based on a few a few minor tweaks to a six page political declaration here, yeah. you know? So so we're getting to the we're getting to the point where it'll be become apparent to Labour that it will have to actively support Brexit. It'll have to actively support to Theresa May's version of Brexit. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, or in the 
and therefore it needs a way, and therefore it needs a way out. Yeah, and and I think the people's vote prevents that right. way out, and it's de- and it was designed as that from the beginning yeah. that it, it would provide yeah. a way out for politicians who didn't want to go against the will of the people. Well, this has been a big but who didn't want to vote, didn't want to vote for 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 the Brexit that comes. Yeah, so this has been a big part of the of the people's vote campaign. Um, has been working on Labour, and it's showing signs of success. And um, if yeah, I, I'm talking about the Corbyn leopard changing his spots, and I'm not ruling that out. I mean, that that seems to me to be the more likely of the two things that have to happen. Because and the it's other a big thing, move, but it can be but it can be done in a day. Right. But the other thing that you know has to mean? happen. Yeah, the other thing that has to happen, which I'm I'm frankly more sceptical about, is that you need to have eighteen to twenty Tory rebels. And I, I don't. I, I was so distressed and dismayed by the performance of Grieve and Co. Back when the withdrawal bill, went, back when the bill went through, um, I, I, I just don't. I, I, I'm. I don't really hold I, out much hope for that. Well, I have a sense that they've firstly learned from that. That was a last chance. Mm. Um, but also, their ranks have been joined by some pretty significant personalities as well. I mean, Justin Greening. Um, is a, is a very significant personality in this. I know she doesn't. Uh, she's not. She's not on the Sunday morning shows constantly about it. But some pretty determined people, Philip Lee as well. There are some pretty determined people who've joined their ranks, mm. um, and they joined their ranks after that capitulation, and they watched that capitulation. Well, not Philip Lee, and did did Justin no, Green? Yeah, I think Greening was after that. Yeah, did she? That she resigned. Yeah. So. Well, she was pushed pushed yeah. out, wasn't she? She wasn't actually. She didn't actually resign. So, um, so I don't know. I think we've got. I think there's some stronger heads, and I think they've gained some experience. And I think, um, but also remember that the Conservative Party itself might be weakened by some of the ERG as well voting against it. You can't rule out. You know, if five five ERG members in a blaze of glory vote against it, yeah, uh, that right. you know that could be enough. So, I I think I think. I think it is still only a 20%, you know, mm. a one in five possibility. But but I think it's a very real one. And I think mm. it gets realer every day, actually, as well. Well, it's, it's, it's still moving in the right direction. It's, it's all, the, all this time we've always been saying, well, it'll all, it'll all be a crunch at the end. And what we need to see along the way are certain markers. And we are seeing those markers. So we're still on track for that. But I still, like, like you, see it as... Um, Improbable. What I hope, what I hope, what I think needs to be done as well, and I don't know who should do it. Um, I suspect, I suspect actually, uh, Nick Clegg and Tony Blair and Gordon Brown would be well placed to do it instead of uh, basically putting people off the idea at home by talking about it. Um, would is to is to get around the U twenty seven as under normal circumstances the diplomatic service would be doing. And try and get them lined up yeah. for the possibility. I think they of this are, aren't well. they? That's, that's effectively. What yeah, they yeah, are and I think that's actually a good deploy. Yeah. I think yeah. that's actually a good deployment of of, of them because I don't mm. think they no, necessarily don't want to help help public, <laughs> help public uh, help public opinion at home. No, um, I think that's true. So I think that's a, a much better deployment. Um, oh, interesting. Well, we'll see. So, but okay, so so um, okay, so that's the discussion of the process. Can we get there? Um. So let's assume that we do get, and there. the conclusion let's, is that it is, that it is possible, but a lot has to happen, and, yeah. and 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 really, it needs it needs very strong, widespread political will. Yeah, right. So as Steve said up at the top of the podcast, we had a nice lunch today with David Hennig. 
David is uh, a name that many of you will know from Trade Twitter. Um, one of uh, a number of experts who's uh, come out of the woodwork <laughs> <laughs> and shared his expertise with the wider audience, uh, which is fantastic. Anyway, Dave, Dave, David was uh, in Brussels today and we met up with him at lunch. And so here you go. Okay, so uh, we are doing, we are Cake Watch living, not live because we're recording, but we are out in. Outside broadcast. We are outside broadcasting. This is Narrowcast. We have the, 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 the Cake Watch mobile broadcasting system, which is a small handheld recorder and a cafe table in Place Luxembourg. We're looking at the European Parliament here, and uh, you'll hear the number 38 bus to Heros going past here. Um, Sounds sound like a trick commentator. And the reason that we're here is that we've just had a very nice lunch with Mr. David Henning. Welcome to Cake Watch, David. Thank you. Delighted to be here. So, how does, it, how does it feel to be back on Plucks? Oh, I spent many a uh, happy year just sitting around these cafes, drinking beer and watching the European Parliament wander by and have nothing better to do. No, hang on a minute. They were all terribly busy. Yes, we absolutely. Yes. Shush. <laughs> so um, so what brings you to Brussels, David? I'm come in search of the piece of paper, the mystery Brexit piece of paper. So I've worked out that there's a piece of paper in Brussels that says, Dear UK, we'll give you absolutely everything you want. Love the EU. There's this piece of paper. It's clearly around Brussels. That's the only thing that can explain the complete ineptitude of the UK government's position <laughs> in negotiating is that that piece of paper exists. And the slight worry and this sort of quest for... You know, it's almost the holy grail of Brexit is that, just like the quest for the holy grail, it may be guarded by Frenchmen hurling insults and uh, animals. <laughs> you silly English knigget. No, we had an inter-service consultation on it a couple of weeks ago. I remember it very clearly. Yeah, on the uh, uh, capitulation, the capitulation yeah. document, they call it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was the non- on... capitulation non-paper. Yeah. Yeah. Are you sure it wasn't on the uh, you know throwing uh, throwing uh, insults from <laughs> Frenchmen <laughs> from the yeah from the top floor of Berlimont? Um, so, David, you um, you are part, very much now part of uh, hashtag Trade Twitter. Um, do you want to uh, tell the listeners a little bit about your uh, a bit about your background and uh, what and what, and that'll explain why for anyone who doesn't know you, that'll explain why we're talking to you in Black Luxembourg. So, I spent the last most of the last eight years working for the UK government up till March on international trade investment business policies, etc. I spent three years, three and a half years as part of TTIP negotiations, which was when I spent most of my time on Place Luxembourg and in various meeting rooms around Brussels. And if you've ever, if you've not previously had a uh, segment on the, uh, the, the beautiful uh, Borchette building, you should certainly, oh, not the you should certainly have, that, have that segment because it's a lovely concrete uh, building where people oh. get locked away and hopefully they remember to let them out again. But I spent three years in those meeting rooms with all of those... Um, all of those member states. So you know, uh, in the bo- you know, in the Borchard, you know it. Well, you know, you know, in uh, period dramas that you're in the war where people are drinking Ersatz coffee. You know, which was like, uh, I mean, what was it? It was uh, uh, Chicon. Uh, yeah, it was like yeah. burnt chicken burn uh, and chicory, stuff like that. Chicory, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you, and uh, I always, whenever I watch those, I always think, I know how that feels. I've been to meetings in <laughs> in that oh, yeah, building they, where it has the worst coffee. And, and if they come anywhere. come around the meetings with coffee on the trays, that is the worst. The, the stuff in the cafeteria is vaguely drinkable. The stuff they sometimes serve in meetings is 
completely and utterly undrinkable. But the meetings are so boring and you need the caffeine so much that you drink it anyway. <laughs> yes, indeed. Anyway, so I spent three, three and a half years negotiating or sitting between the EU and the US negotiators on, uh, on TTIP. Then I was part of DIT when that got set up. And then in March, I left to uh, become UK Director at European Centre for International Political Economy, which is a Brussels-based think tank, but I'm based in London. And therefore, I visit Brussels to see my office and, as I said, to come and find out what's going on around here. And I occasionally, like every hour or so, tweet some helpful messages to the UK government, like, could you sort out your negotiating strategy? Or could you preferably ask somebody, like Steve, actually, who knows it all, and amazingly will tell you if you, uh, you know, buy him a coffee or apparently a... Uh, cheesecake yes so what, what do you want to talk about David do you want, I mean I think do you want to talk about the why the negotiations are going so badly uh, I mean or your, your view on the negotiations and uh, and at some point obviously I warn you now at some point we're going to ask you what you think is going to happen so well and I, I, as I say every week I, I pr- oh I love your graph I, I love your graph my, I Brexit probability tracker which has the uh, great merit of being thoroughly unscientific every week, so we'll come back to that. Uh, why is it all going so badly? Um, well, if, you st- if, if a large number of people who are negotiating with the EU think that it's an evil institution where kind of devils hang out and it's entirely out to get the UK, that's not a promising start to negotiations to start with. If then you then think, well, we better exclude some of these people who actually know about this because they've probably, you know, they've been a bit contaminated by working there. They might be secretly a bit Eurocrat. They may, they may have friends that speak foreign languages or something like that. They, they may even do that. So and, you exclude- and, do you, and do you believe that was done? I mean, I've heard that that was done. Do you, do you also believe that that was, that, that, that was done, that, that, that people with European experience were treated with, with suspicion, particularly in the setting up of DXE? I've certainly heard it said about very senior folk, the, the, the likes of Martin Donnelly and Simon Fraser, who were very senior and had spent time in Brussels and who mysteriously... And were very good at their jobs, actually. Mysteriously yeah. were never involved in the negotiations. And that, um, oh, look, the very, look, look, look at what Ollie Robbins was asked in... Uh, in committee by people like uh, what's her name, Andrea, Andrea Jenkins. Jenkins yeah. Yeah. Yes, without a doubt, without a doubt, um, there's been pressure on government to keep uh, Brussels insiders out of the entire process. So, so I, d- I don't exactly know what happened. I wasn't, you know, I was never party to any interesting conversations. Um, you know, I, 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 I can't spill great secrets on air because I don't, in fact, have any about what happened, <laughs> but. It does seem strange that some of those people who knew about the EU are out of it. Draw your own conclusions as to whether that was a sit, a s- deliberate or... There is another theory going by that somebody gave me this morning, which was that um, within the first few months of negotiations, seeing the way they went, all the best Brussels hands in government thought, that's a really nice-looking posting in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I usually put together a team of 20 people who either have left civil service or have... Uh, uh, work gone deliberately to work oh, okay. on something non-Brexit related. So, so what I what I don't get about this is every so, every so often in among your uh, in among your gentlemen's tweets saying you know you know we have to we have to we have to stop this we have to, to do this you, you, all your all your uh, remain remote whatever you wish to call yourselves <laughs> tweets every so often there's a tweet that says this is what the UK government should do and it's always really great advice from either of you both of you and as far as I can tell no one pays it the slightest no, bit of attention pays. within <laughs> nope. within government. That would be and, nope. You know, nobody ever comes to you and say, Chris, look, I know you're not really on this side, but, you know, because you're nice, we'll probably, you know, we'll take your advice. What would you say? But nobody has ever done that. But that's not that I'm not on, I'm most definitely on the UK side. 
which I see to be the same side as the EU. I mean, I am on the EU side and the UK side. Oh, my God. Negotiation, not as a conflict, <laughs> but as two parties trying to get the best outcome between them. <laughs> well, but, uh, no, no, absolutely. I mean, I have two, I have two sides to me. In, on the one hand, um, particularly for because of the question of citizens' rights, but also more generally... I've, ne- I've never held that the, w- the, the way to remain is, uh, is, no- is no deal and that the risk of no deal and that, the- and that the risk of no deal is worth it because I've always considered that it's way too, bi- it's, it's way too big a-, a risk. I mean, it's a massive existential threat. It's, it's guaranteed pain. So on, the one- so on the one hand, I absolutely firmly remain and still certainly believe we should and can remain in the EU. Um, but on the other hand, as an ex-negotiator... And as a citizen, I want there to be a I want there to be a deal, and I want it to sure. be to be reasonable because there's a good chance it's what we'll end up with. If I wanted to sabotage Brexit negotiations, what I would do is I would become a UK cabinet minister, and I would go on the Andrew Marr show, and I would say to Andrew Marr, "Yeah, well, look, all we need to do is say that we'll agree, <laughs> and then after we've left, then a future prime minister, me." <laughs> We'll simply reopen the entire thing and ditch it. That's what I would do if I wanted to sabotage. I've got, I've got another idea, actually. What you could do is you could, every couple of weeks or so, say, we're not going to actually pay you any money. <laughs> that would, yeah, that would... That would also work. Yeah, yep, that, that would that, would, well. uh, that, that would do... I mean, I, I, I don't... Uh, I, I, I've been actually trying to look at this just purely from a negotiating point of view, and I'm actually trying to think about the future, what the future holds for UK, for UK trade policy. Um, I'm not really take sides on what is actually going to happen in the next few months. But you can't not get involved because, you know, when, when people start saying, well, if, if when, when we leave, we're going to do a trade deal with the US and, you know, chlorinated chicken, well, not, let's not worry about that, shall we? We'll take that. It's all safe. We probably won't, you know, probably won't die from it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, which will... But which it's will not have the end a, of the world. Which <laughs> will, but which would have a major impact on, on, on food supply chains. And I just want to point out, those are, the, those are the kind of choices that you face. That's what happens in a, in a, in a negotiation. We've all been in those, in those Brussels rooms where you've make, you're making your choices, you're putting forward things for the, uh, for the country. So, yeah, it's, it's very much about, well, what is the best that we could get out? And, yeah, that, that terrible thing, I don't think I've heard that hardly said at all by anybody. Oh, hang on a minute. Actually, it's not two sides in this negotiation. There actually ought to be two sides working together towards mm. common goal. You don't know well, that. Well, both Steve and I, and I think other people, such as yourself, were saying right at the very beginning of the entire process, OK, we're going into a Brexit negotiation. Well, look, here are the golden rules. Here are the five golden rules of EU negotiations. This is what you want to do if you want to get yeah. to um, a mutually acceptable outcome, which will be best for everyone. And I think so It's I think, not rocket science. It's really not rocket science. I think you have to remember what Tusk said, that there's no... Uh, the, there's only salt, there's only, there's no cake. There's only salt and vinegar. You know this is this is a suboptimal position for everybody. There are no a- actual real no winners, real net winners out of to this. mitigate. The so losses. it's yeah exactly. So it's about mitigating the losses. And I, I think that uh, after the dust settled, E27 went into it largely with that attitude. But by the time Article 50 was triggered, and by the time negotiations started, you'd already had. Uh, the foreign secretary saying that they could whistle for their money. You'd already had comparisons to fucking uh, 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 Nazi commandants. Yeah. I mean, you'd already had this. I mean, this attempt, this overt, 
coordinated attempt to whittle away, you know, goodwill and, and, well, and, it, and trust. And we bang on about this all the time. I mean, what do you think about the goodwill and trust aspect? Because I think I know a lot of people think that I'm being fluffy and woolly, and well, the, uh, uh, I do, you know, and going, oh well, we should all be nice to each other. But it's not about that. It's about getting what you want. It's about getting what you want. Now, admittedly, we don't necessarily know what we want. And you see, the, the, the that's an impediment. That, yeah. that is an impediment. And the real problem with this is that. It's really difficult to judge for, for, for years to come. So at the end of the, at the, end of the day, we'll, you know, we'll come back to work, we'll get a deal, yes, we'll get a deal, probably. And there will be certain things that we won't have got within that, certain mm. small print that we won't have got, and those will, we won't have got because of the goodwill and trust argument. And it'll only come out years down the line, oh, you could have had that, but because we decided not to bother with all this goodwill and trust thing and just treat them like the evil, the evil enemy, we never got those. And that's, what, that's the reality of negotiations. There's thousands of little details yep. that are in there, mm. and that's where we'll have been missing out. Now, I do want to say something just to jump in here, because there's something I've, has been said to me a few times. It's, well, hang on a minute, are you just saying all the civil servants are incompetent? No. You know, it starts right from the top. It yep. starts with the leadership. The vast majority of civil servants day to day struggling their way through whatever their portfolios happen to be trying to do their best are trying to do their best and doing a good job and they'll get up to speed you know over, over time over years but they're up against they're up against commission people who have been doing their jobs for years probably and with leadership that doesn't understand the rules of negotiation so they're in an impossible, impossible. position and look at the attrition rate i mean yeah. you know if you yeah. want to look at the effect on civil servants and, and you know, look at the attrition rate in the Dexia, for example, and how many, you know, the, the rate of churn and the turnover in the staff and then also the uh, average age of the, you know, it, yeah, it could be a place where you could make your career very quickly. But, you know, the, yeah. people coming in at, at a, quite a junior level looking to make their fortune, you know, that, that, that's not the same as bringing in somebody with years of experience and expertise. Uh, I'd, I'd like to be reassured that they've at least done the sort of four-day-long introduction to the European Union course before they take over a portfolio in negotiations. You know, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that that's the case. See, I, right? They used to bring, they used to bring people like me in to give talks to that introduction to the EU course, but I. Quite honestly, I haven't been asked back to do that for four or five years. Th- well, no, there was that catastrophe that it caused, wasn't there? So do you think anybody <laughs> gave that course to, um, you know, Michael Gove or Dominic Raab or yeah. Ollie Robbins? Do you think they've or had e- that course? E- Esther McVeigh. Oh, Esther McVeigh. <laughs> did you, did you see what she said Jesus, today? Yeah. Did there was a... We can negotiate bits of the, uh, the, the withdrawal agreement during transition. I yeah. don't see yeah. why we have to what? do it now. Why don't we wait until we've left to negotiate the tricky bits? We'll be in a much stronger position then, which is all for untrue. I mean, everything about it was untrue. Yeah. yeah, you do get these incredibly bizarre statements where often, yeah, absolutely every single thing is is, is untrue about the, 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 the statements that, that come out. But I mean, you don't even need to be an expert in the EU to know that you can't negotiate an agreement to leave after, after you've negotiated the agreement to leave. Mm. Well, apparently you do. So we, so we really... So how do you contrast us with... with with uh, the, the sort of pre-Brexit era of ministers. I mean, is this just that the ministers were never actually aware of, uh, of the EU and how it works? Or do you think it's that um, we have, it's the set, it's the particular set of ministers that we have? Because I mean, I worked with ministers from, as you will have done, from, uh, from both parties. Um, and I found them good and they read their brief. Um, three parties. Yeah, and uh, they re- they were pretty good, and they re- they read their brief, and they they asked they tended to ask the right questions, and tended to attempt to be constructive. You know, is it this bunch that, or is it just the size of the task that it's? Impossible? Well, the size of the task is 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 true. It's the political dynamics now of the EU 
was before in, you know, if we're calling it a golden age, it probably wasn't, but the, the, you know, the EU wasn't the, uh, wasn't the evil monster, it was just some tweets we were trying to get on something or other, negotiations, we were trying to get the following into a trade agreement, and everybody just worked together to try and do those small things. The scrutiny and focus on it is massively different. We, we talk about this all the time, that the, yeah, the, yeah. a few years ago, if you said you're working in trade, you know, most, most, most people immediately had no interest in you whatsoever, yeah. and it was a pretty minority uh, pursuit. It wasn't where the controversy was. Now suddenly it's EU negotiations, trade is where the controversy is, and I'm not sure that it bears the weight terribly well of being contra- controversial, because the EU is actually a very boring organisation. Isn't yeah, it, I was going to say. To say, I was going to say what you say about trade being uh, being being being. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say a, a fringe pursuit, but not, certainly not high profile. Was the same for EU. I mean, it was the same for EU experts. And when I left UCREF, which was long before this, 2014. I mean, I didn't think uh, I didn't think I'd ever I'd ever do anything on this ever again. I mean, I left all my recording studio. I was like, right, well, that's it. You went. You you left. You left the uh, boring old uh, bureaucracy and, and EU politics to become a rock star, and now your yeah. rock star status is de- derived yeah. from your EU <laughs> expertise and knowledge. And the, and and and, the, and, the, you and thought this that's is how you get to be famous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no, I had the, this, this exchange. So somebody saying on Twitter the other the other day, you know, oh, we've all, we're all having to become uh, trade geeks, and I said, well, I remember the time when you know nobody wanted to talk to us trade geeks, and someone else said, well, actually, we don't want to now either. Yeah, 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 we'd yeah, much yeah. rather we didn't have to. Unfortunately, we, have we to. really have to now. <laughs> and, 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 and and actually, perhaps that's the, that's that's the secret that you know, in, the government ministers still don't want to talk to us, but have decided they don't need to. Whereas most most sensible people have decided that actually, on balance. You probably should talk probably to the people who know what's go- what's going on because it will be much more boring than you think it is. I, one of the things I like about your your approach, and you mentioned you, you hinted at it earlier about the, uh, the you really set out to show the choices that that, mm. that have to be made. And I think this is interesting about negotiations in general, but also about the the, the situation overall. Um, in the the situation we're in is is predominantly based on a set of UK government choices. I mean, it's based on the choice to leave the EU, the choice of when to uh, invoke Article 50, the choice of the red lines, the choice of uh, Chequers finally as uh, some sort of some sort of some sort of position. And and it's it strikes me that uh, there's a real issue with people understanding that you have choice, that you have choices and trade-offs in in any negotiation, and it also strikes me that this is the thing that annoyed Eurosceptic ministers most was that they they they, they couldn't get exactly one hundred percent of the of, of of what they wanted. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? The, what do you think the the, the big choices facing? The big trade-offs and choices. Well, are. well, it might have annoyed them, but we didn't get 100. percent We got nine, you know, we got 95 percent or whatever of, yes, what, we, indeed, of yeah. what we wanted. Consistently, so, absolutely. So yeah. you know, I think you know, for, first, first of all, when you actually when when the uh, when the sceptical ministers were in government, they were surprised to find that mm-hmm. actually they did get most of what I they think wanted. that's right. Yeah, um, yeah no, I found that as well. they generally so, less. So they can never show the examples where they didn't. But anyway, look, what is, what's the choices? So I had. I had one uh, one tweet which was used to say, "Your reminder: It's either a border, in the Irish Sea, on the island of Ireland, or it's a close relationship with the EU." No, no choice. Now we don't know what that close relationship looks like, but essentially choose one choose one of those things. And it, and and it will be quite customs uniony and yeah, single marketing. It will yeah. be quite, but you might be able to wiggle around the edges. And of course, then Checkers came out and said, "Nah, 
now. We can stick in the middle. We'll invent our own. Uh, we'll invent our own shared market. It's like, yeah, that's not going to work. And this is where the, this is attempts to dodge the choice. This is this yeah. is, this is Checkers denying was, that there's a trade-off or yeah. a choice to and be made. And that's why che- that's why Checkers. I mean, people keep saying, "Oh, Checkers won fire. Why did the EU dislike it?" It's because it denies that that choice has to be made and claims it doesn't. So that was why Checkers is not is not acceptable to the EU and never will be. You just still have to make that choice. So that's the big, that's the biggest choice. The next choice is: Do you? Every time you diverge from EU rules and regs, you're going to lose a chunk of market access. Might be a small bit, might be a bigger bit, but something will affect the businesses. Do you do that? Now, you can argue that you'll gain something elsewhere. You might. Um, but then you're going to have to go through it in detail. And there are, there are millions of these regulations. So we're going to have to go through them all. This is a never-ending task. It's painting the, uh, the, the fourth road bridge bridge again because every time you decide right are we you know what are we doing with geographical indications or what are we doing with chlorinated chickens hormone beef i just give the most famous examples but you know the any directive on this that and the other every time we move away from it someone's going to complain and say but I, you know i need to stay like that because that's that's where i get my uh, business from being the same so those will be choices and that will continue for for years in fact if, any, if anything, everyone, you know, will stagger over the line in March. If we, do, if, if, if we leave, we'll stagger over the line exhausted. And then the real debate will, will, will start up and everyone will be going, hang on a minute, why, why are you lot still famous? Yeah. So, well, that's good news for you, actually. So you'll still have that rock star fame. Oh, no, I'm going, I'm going back to playing guitar and recording music after all this is done. No, 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 no. I have fi- I'm, I'm, I'm fixed term on this. Um, so the, isn't there an argument as well that any, you know, the decision to diverge at all has in itself, a, you know, a, a massive fixed cost because once companies start having to check whether they have to check that they have different regulations, then the damage is to some degree already yep. done. There's, there's a massive it's, it's a great cost. It's a bonanza for parts of the service industry. But that well, service well, industry is going to be heavily located in Brussels. Yeah. 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 Well, there is an element of that. Um, look, it really hits small businesses much more than the large players because the large players, there is this argument, one of the better arguments against... Um, the way existing trade deals are structured, and to a degree against the way the EU is structured at the moment, is that it really does favour the large corporates who can just um, afford, afford to work their way around all these regulations, who often su- suggest these regulations to, to, uh, and to afford start, to lobby to start on them. with. Yeah, yeah. But having said which, the more, you know, the, the more similarities there are, the, the fewer barriers there are, the be- then small businesses can, you know, can come in there. Um, but the small, the small businesses. Any time we're going to, we're going to, we're going to diverge. It, you know, it's the big, the big players are still going to find their ways around it. You know, have have a thought for the for the small businesses. Well, we're we're going to have to look through all of these ruddy regulations and find out what they're all about. We did some work, did some work with Alan Smith on um, uh, florists. You know, we were just looking for looking at uh, sectors that were going to be that, that there was going to be a big big yeah. impact on. You know. And the argument is that you know you might have voted for to take back control, but you didn't you didn't vote for Mrs. Thompson's flower shop on the high street in Dumbarton to be to, to have to close, you know. And really, you know, we found that the, the florists, I think, seventy five percent of florists only have the owner or the owner plus one employee, mm. um, and are utterly utterly reliant on friction free yeah. uh, trade from the Netherlands, essentially. Yeah. How do you, how do you know I didn't vote to leave because I wanted to do harm to a florist in Dumbarton? <laughs> Well, it's a basic assumption that, that most people aren't pathologic, don't pathologically hate Mrs. Thompson. On, on it's pretty that niche. Thing. It's pretty niche reason to vote for Leave, but then most of the reasons to vote <laughs> Leave were niche. It seems. 
Well, yeah, yeah, very, very true. Uh, so yeah, so it's really, it, it's really, and there's there's just nothing that they can, there's not nothing that they can do about that. Their flowers will last less time. They'll be able to sell them for less money, and they'll have more dead stock. Um, and th- there's just nothing that there's nothing that a small business can can do to mitigate that. A big business can do something with its own systems and distribution systems and so on to try to mitigate it but a, yeah. but a small business just can't and, 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 and so that comes into again you know um, you know when are we going to adjust how long how long have you got you know we might if we're leaving with a deal no deal in March you're you know, already too, hard, too late in some ways for some, some of these to adjust or is it 2020 or is it well, when, when's this going to happen how long have we got to adjust how are these debates going to be done how long are we going to are we going to have this whole load of uncertainty and Instead of, you know, what, what the government's saying is, it's going to be fine, we're going to have a beautiful trade deal with the US. And I think all these small businesses and others are thinking, you know, never mind my deal with the US. It's not about am the gonna, US. Am I going to be able to tra- carry on trading as I am doing, you know, in March or whenever or whenever it is? But on the transition on the transition deadline, I mean, are you one of the trade experts to say there's no, you know, there's just no chance of a comprehensive FTA being done in... In twenty in twenty one months, yes, and it's it was one of the reasons I was once accused um, by um, by a colleague of being heavily eurosceptic because I said that the EU was incapable of doing a trade deal in twenty one months. Those but the bastards. EU is incapable of doing a trade deal in twenty in twenty one months. The best the EU could do would be I don't know three or four years for something very simple. For this, more like five to seven years. And the reason for that is not because the negotiators in DG Trade are not very good at their job it's because they can negotiate a pretty detailed deal in uh i mean i've seen them do it in nine months uh, where the other party is in a weak position and ready to capitulate very quickly where they've got a trickier party already looking at mercosur for example then it takes years and years but not because of the the the, the dg trade guys it's because of the people you know and maybe in the brazilian foreign ministry or something but anyway, the, 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 the time taken is not for the negotiation. The time taken is for the signed deal, the initial deal, then to make it through all the democratic processes. The democratic processes. The EU has make, those. Yes, the oh. EU has democratic processes. <laughs> Spoiler alert. And that is, well, that's true. I and mean, that's certainly, yeah, and the translations into all, the, into all the languages and whatever. And they've got very good at kind of consultation now in the EU. But, I mean, bring back a little bit on, on, on that. It, there is, there is a level of detail as well. You know, there are thousands of things to go into this. And people say, this is the, the Economist of Free Trade Report, you know, it says, why will the negotiations need to take long? Because on day one, we're going to be um, in line with EU regulations and we'll just change slowly after that. And you're like, well, you've just revealed why the negotiations are going to take so long. Because the EU <laughs> isn't going to give a fig whether on day one the regulations are going to stay the same they're going to say to the uk on day one they're going to say so for this particular area are you going to keep your regulations the same and the uk will say we don't know and they'll say well can you you can come back when you've worked out whether the regulations are going to stay the same or not and then we can talk about you know how how we how we go from there at which point and when you've got thousands and thousands of those to talk about that is going to take time. And each time, the EU is going to start by saying, hey, spoiler alert, for nego- negotiators working in Dexu, this is what they're going to be asking you. What are your plans? UK government, you might like to have some before you go into these talks. So really interesting from, from David. I mean, you can hear the, uh, the frustration of a practitioner in this area. Yeah. Um, you know, particularly with the, the lack of use of expertise that, uh, that, that the government's had at hand. Yeah, and then, uh, then multiply that right across government. You know, all the civil yeah. servants 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, that was really, uh, I was, I mean, and, and David's a, uh, David's a, a, a pragmatic person. I mean, he, he's, uh, he's interested in the trade elements. He's not a Remain campaigner, as he, as he says in the, uh, in the, in the segment. Hmm. Um, but you no, know, it was really nice. It was really good to have lunch with him. And it's, it's always lovely when you meet, meet people who you've corresponded with online. Yeah. Uh, and you actually meet them in real life and find that they're, they're f- even funnier and more interesting than you thought they were. Although, as David himself pointed out, it, uh, uh, it's only recently the trade experts have been considered interesting. You know? so, <laughs> and you... One day we hope that hope again they won't be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we can all go back to being um, um, ignored nerds. But there was a lovely – I know you saw it. There was a really lovely piece by um, – Simon the Stylite in mm. um, on politics.co.uk today where he talks about how the nerds have ridden to the rescue. <laughs> but yeah. Experts have been widely ignored and now here they are coming out of the woodwork and, yeah, doing their thing here on Twitter. come to save the day. But it was really nice of Simon to write that and nice of being done to publish it actually as well. Yeah. Um, that was really cool. So. Yeah, we're, 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 we're officially counting ourselves as among those nerds. Well, Simon counted us in it as well, with a bit of prompting, I have to admit. With a bit of prompting. A bit of prompting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, okay, so let's let's work on the um, highly speculative assumption that uh, we get a people's <laughs> vote. So so the next, then, the next discussion is, which was the essay question, the exam question that we were set by Laura, uh, what does a successful campaign look like? Well, firstly, it looks nothing like the <laughs> Remain campaign. It looks like one run by Eloise Todd, I think, is <laughs> the answer to that. Yeah, I mean, I think it should be. It needs to be not run by politicians. It yeah. needs to be not people reading from an identical script. Um, it needs to be uh, lots and lots of messages uh, tar- targeted, targeted properly. Um, and I think there's a huge, there's an absolute smorgasbord of, of stuff to use. You know, yeah. from from the economic stuff right to the um, to the to the the the, uh, the idea of being a, a vast state, the idea that Parliament would be <clears throat> have no choice but to accept whatever the hell Mayor brings back during the transition period, um, the legitimacy of the original vote with uh, uh, vote vote leave uh, criminal uh, activity. And so on and so forth. So you know, I think there's a huge, uh, I think there's a huge, uh, huge amount there. Um, but I think it also has to sell the positive as well. Well, listen, yes, exactly. And, uh, go on. Well, I think well, it's not necessarily the positive about the EU. It might be too late to sell that. You know, we had forty years and nobody's done it successfully. It I, might I, well, be too late I'll, in a couple of weeks back, to do I'll, it. I'll come back on that. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought you would. Um, but what it needs to be about is what kind. I think is what kind of country you you want mm, and yeah. the the advantage here is that remain would be the insurgency remain exactly. is not the status quo exactly and it must be sold as not the status quo it's actually a way out of our status quo the status quo is now the last two years of yeah. chaos and exactly. catastrophe and exactly. mismanagement no this is where we this is where we make them own it no okay so look yeah. here, here's what i think so i'm much more optimistic about this um I'm not at all optimistic about getting to a vote, but if we were to have a vote, actually, without being oh, you're complacent, about winning it. Oh, okay. without com- being complacent, I'm super, super optimistic, and for for a number of reasons. I have this discussion. This is the discussion I have with um, with my partner's dad all the time, who's um, 
um, a, an old, uh, a good old fashioned um, uh, Glaswegian working class uh, socialist um, and um, thoroughly um, pro European and, and really, really, I have fantastic chats. He's a really lovely guy, and he. He, for the longest time, would not sign the petition for a people's vote because he thought mm. that it would be... He, he, he came up with all these arguments that you hear. Oh, no, it would just cause riots. You know, the, 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 the far right would take to the streets and start, you know, tooling up. Um, it yeah. would, we'd lose it for sure. We'd, there's no way we'd win it. There, nothing's changed. People are still angry. We'd lose it. And he, I, he came, he has come round, uh, not, not, not thanks to me, <laughs> thanks to his Lib Dem, <laughs> his Lib Dem mate from Somerset, but, <laughs> but he has come round. And, um, see, I, I, one by one, I want to pick off those arguments. The whole idea that, well, we, we, we mustn't do it because the far right will, will revolt. Well, that, that's bullshit. Firstly, it's an appeaser's argument. Very you don't, bad you reason, don't appease yeah. the fucking is, far right by giving in to them. But secondly, no, they're not. These people, it's a, you know, re, re, rehash your Big Lebowski argument. These people are cowards. They're not going to get up and fight. People riot because they can't feed their kids and because they haven't got a job. That's why they write. They write because they've got nothing left yeah. to do. They're not writing because they don't get back this bullshit sovereignty that has been promised to them by a bunch of toffs. I mean, that's not what people write. So I don't buy that at all. I think there's a bit. I, th- I think there's a bit of evidence here as well that uh, that apart that on average, uh, Leave voters have a have a much less deep belief in yes. There is. I have in, seen that in, in, yeah. in leaving. Whereas Remainers have a much have a much have a have a much deeper belief yeah, in it. And, but, in short, again, I, you don't go on the streets for a, for a preference. No, no. In, in short, I just think that there's um, far more danger of civil unrest if we leave, especially if we leave hard, than if we have a vote and we remain and, and we overturn the, uh, the the 2016 shitty referendum. I think that there's yes, far. Yeah, I, I agree. Far. I agree. Secondly, um, this will. There's no way that this would just be a rehash of 2016. No, it's completely different because the people. I, we, I'm quite confident. <laughs> in the way that only um, a middle-class uh, white boy f- with an Oxbridge education can be confident. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I'm quite confident that the reason that uh, for, uh, that 51% of our fellow countrymen um, and women voted to leave the EU in 2016 was not because of um, taking back control of our sovereignty. No, it was because no. I think yeah, there was all sorts give, of complicated reasons. It was lots reasons, of reasons, giving Cameron a kicking. And, Cam- yeah. Cameron a kicking for austerity. That's what it was. People were yeah, hurting yeah, and, and, you know, the politics in the UK was not and is not working for people. And was not giving a shit about it. And them. it was a kick to the powers that be. And that kick in, in, in a people's vote, in, 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 in the scenario that we're, con- we're, that we're contemplating, that kick would be directed against the Leave campaign, not against... Well, I think this is very... The personalities involved would be very important because the original Leave campaign has nobody left. Hmm. I mean, they've all been discredited. You know, Johnson's been, Johnson's been totally discredited. Mm-hmm. All the others have had lies showing easiest deal in history, you know, all this kind of stuff. The ERG have been outed as a bunch of tinfoil hat jokers. Yeah. What you're left with is the government essentially having to campaign for its deal because it, it, it couldn't get out of doing it. I'm yeah. sure May would much rather not campaign for whatever deal she yeah. brings back, but she'll simply have to against actually what's become a genuine 
grassroots movement. Well, that, that, that brings me to my third, my third reason. So, yes, to, just to finish off on your point, I agree. I think that, you know, who's left on their side? Whereas on our side, I, I suspect you're going to get some people who were very much staying under the radar in 2016 who are now going to be out there and being very passionate about it. And they're yeah. going to be people with a huge public profile and they're not going to be politicians. So you're going to get people like Gary Lineker and, and you know, and so on standing and up and saying... And they're going to be writing their own speaking part yeah, points. And it's going and, to be uh, quite different. And saying what they actually mean rather than just reading from a script as well. But that, that brings me to my third point, which then picks up on one of the points that you made, which is that I think that this time around we are looking at an entirely different positive narrative. I yeah. think that what, what this entire process has done has awoken a genuine enthusiasm in this country for the EU. For, our, yeah. for, the, for the UK as a European country and for our European identity. And I don't oh, even... Yeah, some, I mean, that quite... Few, yeah. yeah. I mean, the someone EU said a few flag. weeks ago, it now has the, the UK now has the biggest pro-European yes. movement in, in yes. the EU. popular, popular pro-European movement. It does, and, it, and that's no exaggeration. It does, it, and it's exciting. I mean, I've, obviously, I've been a pro-EU campaigner for my entire very extensive and long life. But, you know, I've never been seen a very lonely like one. <laughs> a very, yeah, very lonely yeah. one. <laughs> so lonely that I had to fuck off to Brussels in order to be able to talk to anybody who <laughs> felt the same yeah. way as me. But this has completely changed. Completely changed. You're getting millions yeah. of people out on the street marching, wrapping themselves in the flag, you know, <laughs> without over-egging it. I mean, seriously, I think that people have a completely different understanding now. And it may be a reactive kickback against this far-right coup, but nevertheless, it's real. It's a real and genuine enthusiasm for Europe and what it means to people on an emotional level. So that's complete. Yeah. It's a game changer. It's completely changed. Yeah. Now we but might I not. Th- Sorry. But I also, I also think, I also think on a, a intellectual and understanding level, there's been a, an absolute sea change yes. over the course of the last two years. People as have well. informed themselves now. A bit late, and not. Uh, but about <laughs> British politics, about British politics as well, not yes. just about European politics, yes. about politics generally. A desire to participate, and I think now I mean I have, I have I have one worry is is that I don't think, and I've never thought that uh, the Remain campaign should 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 overpromise and it should promise things like Leave did that it is not going to actually have uh, that it is not actually going to be able to deliver. But I think even the chance, even that this gives an opportunity for a positive change in the UK, for the things that led to the vote to be addressed. I don't think mm. you need to outline... You don't need, I don't think you need a manifesto of what would be done. The poli- mm. Only the political parties can do a manifesto of what they would do in yeah. government. But I think what's clear is that not doing this will mean that it will never be addressed. Because yeah. either we'll have a government that doesn't, that, that doesn't want to address it, or we'll have a government that does want to address some of these things, but doesn't have, simply doesn't have the finances to be able to, to, be able to do it effectively. But I, I think the genie... And I think, it, that's, and I think that's a huge thing to sell. This, this is a possibility. This yes, is an, exactly. an opportunity to, to fix Britain. And, and Boris Johnson was right. The Britain's problems are British problems. And they're Britain's problems to fix. I mean, yeah. he was right when he yeah. said this in, what, yeah. 20, 2014. Oh. I mean, the, the genie is out of the bottle. The, G, the genie is out of the bottle. I think, I think that we can't go back to where we were prior to the 2016 referendum. I think that now... And we don't want to. Too I many, don't want no, to. No, no. Too, many people, too many people have had their eyes open. I mean, I don't want to sound all sort of messianic about it, but I really oh. genuinely do think that people, um, a lot of people who would not normally have raised too much excitement or energy yeah, yeah. have now really 
been shocked Dugging, into yeah, yeah. In, into into profound um what was, what's the right word resistance is probably the right word to yeah. the way in which our state has been captured by certain interest groups um yeah, and, yeah, and how our, our institutions are not functioning correctly and i mean i don't think you know whatever happens i don't think that's going away and you're now going to have for the rest of our political lifetimes you're going to have a a, a very um, energized group of people and it won't be a, yeah. a it won't be a huge majority but a very significant minority group of people who have been energized by this entire sh- shambles and who will mm-hmm. now be campaigning for serious political reform in the uk in a way that wasn't being done previously i think yeah no i, I mean i think this is i think this is re- really really uh really really important and i think this is this is part of the cell actually yeah the, the, the work the work doesn't the work doesn't stop there what, again, where I think there's a danger that a danger is of overselling. I'm saying that making the same point again, but of overselling what the campaign can do, as if the campaign is a manifesto for a future Britain. You know, like the Will Hutton and Andrew Donnell's mm. book. You know, mm. and also with, and also with the relationship with Europe, I think we have to be really careful about this. I mean, it's it's no good telling people that, for instance, uh, Nick Clegg this week telling people that we need to remain in Europe and we need treaty change, and Europe needs to give us treaty change on freedom of movement. And we have to be realistic. We have to be realistic about this. In yeah. time, the UK will will have the opportunity to get its position, the position that it had back. And actually, it can happen very quickly. For example, I give an example of this: that uh, when uh, the A10 joined in two thousand and four, there was a certain amount of timidity among the new members. You know, they're in a new. Uh, they're in a new forum hmm. that they haven't participated fully in before. They've got established very large member states and so on and so forth. A few months into it, Poland was flexing its muscles as if it had been a member for, for 20 years. Yeah, you know? but don't forget, they brought goodwill. Yeah, now it'll take longer than the few months that it took, that it took Poland, but events will occur... Things will happen. It'll happen, and and they'll be collabor- and everybody will have to collaborate again. It depends very much on, on on decent government in the UK, of course. Yeah, and yes, it does absolutely, and also to, it depends on uh, eating eating a bit of humble pie mm. and and doing this thing. I mean, I I think that there'll be respect given for us having rode back from the. Mm. Uh, Road from the brink, well, road back from the brink, Europe. and been and been and been grown up about we it, and tried there. to save this. Actually, we belong oh, yeah. there. We're a European. We're we're a core part of European civilization. We belong got, in this. We belong in this. We absolutely. But I think we can't go around saying we're going to stay in lead. We're going to get changes to the treaties. We're going to get something no. in return for no, remaining. No, no, no. Clegg needs you know? to frankly shut the fuck up about that. But others think this is you know others think this as well, and um. We just have to be careful about. We don't. We don't have to run it down either. I just think we have to be careful about not overpromising because there's a, there's a kind of tendency by Remain to say that you know, with the in in terms of the EU and in terms of the UK, remaining will fix everything, and it and it it won't fix everything, but it gives the opportunity for the fixes to happen, and the fixes will never happen unless we do it. Well, it stops the bleeding, doesn't it? Um, remaining yes. stops the bleeding. Yeah, uh, and you can't recover. You can't begin to recover until then. We can start scabbing over. <laughs> Oh, that's charming, that is. That's just lovely. Instead of bleeding out all over the Atlantic Ocean. But I, think, I think the next thing we have to talk about is how we avoid the, the issues of the 2016 referendum as well. The 2016 referendum is, is, I mean, it was a weak mandate, which has just been weakened every week since. That's a lot of weeks. has been <laughs> weakened every week since. Um, so how do we... 
how do we make sure that there is a, that it is free and fair, that it is an expression, a democratic expression this way, in, in a way that it wasn't before? Well, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know that we need to debate, dis- discuss it for very long, because I mean, to me, it's very obvious. You need to, we just need to put every effort into making sure that the franchise is inclusive, uh, and that it, at the very least, it's it's consistent. But ideally, mm. it's inclusive. So ideally, you'd have a, 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 a an inclusive franchise, including uh, you know sixteen, seventeen year olds, including uh, EU twenty seven uh, residents in the UK, and including UK citizens living overseas um, without an age without a, a time limit. Now, if, course, if, 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 if that leave, if, leave will leave will scream that you're moving the goalposts. Today. What what's the response to that? Well, yeah, we're we're, we're correcting the goalposts. They move the goalposts. Yeah, they they move the goalposts to gerrymander an, an un, unfair franchise, yeah. and we would be moving it back. Now that that that's a maximalist ask, and it may be that say no, you know, you can't have both, um, ex, you know, expat, you know, both ex UK citizens living overseas and EU citizens living in mm-hmm. in the UK. I mean, I don't know, but I mean, I think that you you at the very least need to. Uh, mount a, a, a real, one. Yeah. a really strong campaign during the preparation of a referendum bill to make sure that the franchise is inclusive. You also need to have a much tighter control on um, spending and on financing. Um, but most importantly, um, you do all that necessary work that Macron did in France on disinformation and on, mm. uh, and on you know, the, the, the dodgy stuff. And I think, of course, I think this time around, honestly, I think that I, I would be quite hopeful that we would be much, 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 um, much more vigilant on, on, on the absolutely shocking impact that dark ads and targeted sort of data harvesting and stuff had in, in, in that campaign and, and, and conscious of the people, you know, the dark forces using that. We, I, think me, I think media will take a different approach to balance yes. as well in yes. that they'll fact check. Yeah. And, so I, I, yeah. I, I, do see, I do see it as being in a different context. I think that there are all sorts of reasons why we can hope that the process would be uh, much more, uh, much cleaner, much, much more yeah. approximating a proper modern democracy next time around. But you can see why the time is an issue. You know, if we're talking about this stuff, this stuff does all take time to put in yeah. place and it takes discussion it takes a public debate so i mean you know well, we need, I think pre- we need pre- an extension pretend, yeah i think pretending that we're not going to need an extension which no, i think no, some, some I people think, yeah. do i think some people do and um yeah so i i think i think vince cable said that you know the only people saying they aren't time are, are brex extremists and and they're not they're constitutional experts as well and yeah, um, and, and and parliamentary no, experts. So, i think I, to me i don't I, think there's even worth discussing we know we know that we're going to need an extension to article 50 yeah. and that's going to have to take us up until the vote so you know that i think that's, and, that, and that and that but that could be could well be more than a month or two i mean oh yeah this yeah, could, this could yeah. well be six or six or nine months yeah so, yeah yeah, yeah. For it to it's be not going to be it's yeah. not going to be four years but it's going to be it's going to be and you know we're, we're talking about possibly another year, yeah. an extension of another year or so. Yeah, I think that. Yeah. I mean, I, now a, a different matter. So this evening on Twitter, I was discussing a different scenario, which is um, where it's not the May government that that asks for the extension and, and, and launches mm. um, a, a referendum, but instead it's a, it triggers a general election. And you mm. ask for um, you ask for an extension in the context of a general election, and then you get a Labour government coming in, and the Labour government then goes and says, "Well, we want to renegotiate." Uh, so that I, th- I 
see that as much trickier to sell in Brussels. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because then we're talking about quite a long, you know, we're talking about a couple of years, two or three years, and I don't think Brussels wants to. No, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm absolutely. Sh- I'm sure they don't. I think they would say accept the withdrawal agreement, um, and uh, and we'll discuss it during the transition under those See, circumstances. Now, yeah. One here's a, here's a blue sky idea that I've not. This is a one that I've just entirely invented myself, and <laughs> nobody else. In that scenario, I wonder if in that sort of scenario you could build in to a withdrawal agreement some kind of rider to article 49 some kind of <laughs> yeah here's your here's your voucher we're going to put a stamp I, on your wrist and you can get back in <laughs> i don't think a bilateral agreement can amend an article of, no it wouldn't it would have to be well it would have to be it, it couldn't be a bilateral agreement it would have to be it would be, have to be political it would have to yes, be it would have agreement. to be exactly it would have, but i mean I, one well one one thought that um a a a a, a follower of mine and a correspondent on Twitter had is for the uh is for the EU just to just to come and offer this. You know, if the if the whole thing is is deep in the shit in November and we haven't got a deal yet, the EU just comes and offers it and says we'll we we'll offer an extension. You can have an extension until the end of twenty twenty eighteen nineteen under the following circumstances. You know? Mm-hmm. So you either Blah, 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 blah. I see, I see that as being a little less likely. I think that the EU doesn't want I'm to meddle sure. in... I, I don't think the EU wants to meddle in internal politics like that. They don't want to... I think they don't want to meddle in internal politics, but it's an... But it's an... It would... It's an offer, and it would put the ball in the UK... It would put the ball in the UK's court. And it would reduce the possibility of no deal, which you have to remember that the EU does not want no deal, you know? Um, which actually brings us neatly onto the question of the question... Um, I mean, but I, th- I, th- I think there are several people who are campaigning for people's vote who want it to be a vote between the deal that May brings back and uh, a renegotiation, the EEA, essentially. But that's conflating withdrawal agreement with future arrangements. Yes, absolutely. And I think this is a, I think this is a, a, a big worry. And I think this is why blind Brexit has set so many people off, actually. Um, going, oh, hang on, shit! It doesn't work. If we, <laughs> I mean, my 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 view my view of blind Brexit, which is if you have a blind Brexit, is having a political declaration that says very little about the future relationship. You know, it just says both sides are committed to a, a deep and spe- well, they wouldn't use deep and special because it's creepy, but to a, a as close of a relationship as possible. Blah 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 blah. You just says four pages of this and security cooperation and blah blah blah. Um, so that's that's essentially what a blind Brexit is. That what this means is that Parliament would be being asked to essentially okay a future agreement, whatever it is, because then there would be no option to remain. Then there would only be an option of another cliff edge at the end of transition. So Parliament is putting itself in a very, very, very weak position in terms of parliamentary sovereignty if it was to if it was to agree to this. And I think that's one of the that's one of the political routes to a, a people's vote as well. Saying, look, we can't allow the executive to put us in to put us in that position. So we we need that we need this. Yeah, well. But I think there but I, I think there absolutely has to be the op, the option to revoke Article Fifty in the in the referendum. I oh think yeah, it, no, there has to be. But whether there, you know, <laughs> we we know that there has to be. 
otherwise what's the point also no but i think that, but, i think no but i think there would be a huge public backlash and all it would take is for donald tusk to say we won't be renego- renegotiating this after we won't be renegotiating this after your referendum and that and that whole idea of a question between different types of brexit is just blown out blown entirely out of the water and i think and i've said several times that i don't think but they're not going to renegotiate but hang on a second sorry they're not all Tusk could say, all the EU side could say is, we're not going to renegoti- renegotiate the withdrawal agreement. And the but political the, declaration. Yeah, yeah, but the political declaration is just a political declaration. It's not, you know, a f- the future agreement has yet to be negotiated. The UK, there's nothing stopping the UK. I mean, a political declaration cannot, I mean, that cannot bind a future government. You know, if, 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 if a future government comes in and says, do you know what, actually, political declaration said Canada Plus, but we don't want a Canada Plus. We want, you know, we want Norway or we want... Um, but, the point, but the point is that whatever any government brings back, the parliament will have, to, will have to accept it because the alternative is a genuine cliff edge with no deal at the end of transition. And my argument is that par- any responsible parliament cannot put itself in that position. And the only way to put itself in that position is to essentially... Uh, essentially vote down a blind Brexit or demand a referendum on a blind Brexit. My point is that I don't, that I think a lack of detail in the withdrawal agreement strengthens the argument for Parliament to vote it down or to amend the motion to have a, to have a referendum rather than weakens it. The argument goes that there would be nothing to have a referendum on. There would be a referen- something to have a referendum on. There would be the political declaration plus there would be what the government says its objectives are. In, in checkers or in a new do- in a new document, and therefore there is something to vote on. Uh, there is something to vote on at that point. What there is, what is pointless is having that versus a different a different vision. That's actually what a general election is for. Yeah. To be honest, I, 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 yeah, I, to be honest, I struggle with, with all with all this stuff. Maybe it's just I'm I'm just too tired. I I struggle with this. For me, it's very clear. What we're discussing is a is a is a people's vote on the withdrawal agreement that's negotiated. And the political declaration. No, no, it, is me, on the politi- no it is on the political declaration. Of course it's on the political, the political declaration. The political declaration to me is, is meaningless, frankly. Not necessarily. It's never intended to be meaningless. It was intended to be quite detailed, 25 to 35 pages. Yeah, but it's still but only laying, a, laying, out, laying out the framework. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, but that can't what, bind yeah, but that, anybody. No, no, but, uh, no, it doesn't. But we're not talking about legally binding. Firstly, it's politically binding to an extent because it would be agreed by council and by the UK government. So there's, a, there's certainly a politically binding element to it. The same thing is that that would then be used as the framework for negotiations, what they were negotiating towards in the in in during the transition period. So no, I think this is very important because if you make it about the if you make it solely about the it's very dangerous, this Chris, because if you make it solely about the withdrawal agreement, why would anybody vote against the withdrawal agreement? It's the only possible way to guarantee citizens' rights. They'd, vote, they'd vote against it so that they could get um, they'd vote in favour of withdrawing Article Fifty. But you can only. But this only works if. But the withdrawal agreement won't be rotten. The withdrawal agreement will be largely what would be expected from the withdrawal agreement. So, so the the, the ballot, as I see it, would be: Do you vote in favour of the withdrawal agreement that has been negotiated by Theresa May, including the political? Do you vote to uh, withdraw Article Fifty, or do you vote to leave them no deal? Uh, now. I don't think any remotely responsible parliament can put no deal on the table for a, for a vote. There's, we can have a discussion about whether a conservative view of Brexit, uh, we can have a discussion about whether it's a good or a bad thing. We can have a discussion about the EEA, about whether that's a good or a bad thing. You can't have a, you can't have a discussion about 
whether it's a good idea to have a no deal Brexit. Well, I mean, and 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 also well, remember I, they're they're only they're only yeah, but there are only fifty, sixty, seventy crackpots in the House of Commons who actually believe this shit. There are not enough to force that as an amendment. There are not enough. There are not enough to force that through in any sort of vote. And I think, I think, Parliament. I think Parliament will be sensible about that. I think Parliament will reject that. The Prime Minister herself has said that that would be the choice. It's not up to her. The bill be amended. Yeah, but I mean, (laughs) but she she is um, a person of influence um, in her. Yeah, we know that. that, No, we know that will be the proposal. I think that. But I. But this is why. This is why I still campaign and write about No Deal. See, is, be- is, be- is because it has to be removed. It has to be removed because otherwise, otherwise, you can very, very easily end up in a in an endless and pointless discussion about having a, a three way option or about having a two stage referendum and all this kind of stuff. Now, well, that, that's I guarantee, the danger of I, political. Well, I guarantee you, if you do, I guarantee you, if you do this, there is a high chance that we will accidentally end up with No Deal because of the way the campaign yeah, goes. Yeah, but, but but and this has to be no, but this has to be. It is like I, I really, I really, really believe this. It is like going to a doc, going to the doctors with flu, and the doctor saying, "Well, well, you've got you've got a couple of options here. You can go home and have a cold compress and uh, drink lemon tea and honey and stuff and keep warm, or you can push on. That's remain, or you can push on through it and ignore it. That's essentially uh, the deal, or you can be trepanned." Or you can have a limb removed, or you can have your nose nose removed. Now, they are all, they are all options, and being killed would cure your would cure your flu. Yeah. But it's utterly irresponsible Steve, I know the doctor that, to but, offer you but, that option. But, the, but uh, this government is incredibly irresponsible, and MPs are incredibly irresponsible. Well, we know that for a fact because well, we've shown that we they are back. because they already had this referendum in the first place. So we know. Yeah, that but they we are. Go, Yeah, we go back to the numbers on this. You just need twenty. You just need 20 Tory rebels. And yet we already had a a supposedly responsible House of Commons pass the referendum bill and pass the Article 50 bill and pass the withdrawal bill. You've got to put it in the context. This would be be voting voting on having that in. On having no deal as a, I, as a genuine I, possibility. I, 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 I think the Commons would reject it. I don't. And I think it should. I think I, it should. Of course it should. I completely agree with you on, on the analogy. I just don't think that our politicians are wise enough to see that. I think that there's every like, highly likely that you'd have no deal on the on the on, That's on, not, on the agenda. I would on, urge, uh, but I would urge utterly Remainers not to push this three-way, three-way vote thing as what they want. A lot of Remainers like the idea because it would split the it would split the the pro pro, pro leave vote between no they would somehow split it between leave uh, between between uh, the withdrawal agreement and no deal and therefore remain would romp home no, and sure. I, I really urge no, no. people not to, I not to do that. i think you. you're playing with absolute fire well, sure i mean that, of yeah. course in an ideal world you would not have that on the on the ballot paper and you'd have a straight choice between um yeah okay we take this withdrawal agreement or no you know what we change so those are the only two back. serious options but um, I, I don't want i don't i don't want to go i don't want to lose where we were talking about the political declaration because i still think that this is a really important point that we need to tease out because it seems to me that there are risks. Uh, the risk is that um, uh, so t- so t- two things. Firstly, um, any political declaration that is made by one government doesn't matter if you have a referendum where um, a majority of people say, you know what, yeah, we vote in favour of 
keep, keeping your withdrawal agreement and future and, and political declaration. And the political declaration says something like, you know, EFTA or, 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 or Canada Plus. Because as soon as you hit the next general election, that's what the general election is going to be fought on. Okay, well, well, firstly, there's no scheduled general election. There will be a general election. No, 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 no. Wait. There will be a general election at some point before this agreement is finalised because the agreement is not is going to take longer than the transition. Oh, well, yeah, that's a different question. But the plan, the plan is the plan on both sides is that it that it will that it will be done by the end. It's not going to be, is it? We know that. (laughs) But and hang on, but the there's a limit to that. There's a limit to what you said here. For instance, a, okay, it's a political declaration, not a treaty. But a treaty doesn't change because the government changes. Um, the political but it's declaration, not be a treaty, but, the, but the political declaration is not just a UK government political declaration. It's a joint one with the EU twenty-seven. Yeah, but it's still which a sets political- out, which sets out. Hang on, which is intended to set out the parameters and the framework on which they will negotiate the future relationship. That is not a meaningless document. Mm. That is that okay? It's a political declaration. It's not legally binding. That is not a meaning, not a meaningless document at all. Now, what you once for one side to unilaterally tear that up a year and a half into a 19 month process is uh, a massive and uh politically unlikely step in my view i mean okay. well, because well, that would be because you know so well i would just have agreed to differ because i for, to me it seems highly politically unlikely that um uh, that you're going to have um british politics Agreeing to be bound by um, something that Theresa May has negotiated in in 2019, I just I just think that's really unlikely. And certainly not if there's only a change of prime minister. I don't think it cha- it, it won't change anything if there's only a change of prime minister. There's a change of party, maybe. But the other well, risk. But the but the reality. But hang on. But the reality is that actually the 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 political declaration is not going to be that. The political declaration is not is al- almost certainly now because there's no time to do it. Frankly, is now not going to be. A relatively yeah, detailed exactly, framework which, of what which the future makes it even more, uh, more of a risk. Yeah, I've, no, but this is why. But it's specifically if if you tell MPs that they're voting against the withdrawal agreement, which guarantees uh, citizens' rights, they won't do it. If you tell them that you, they're voting against that and the political declaration, which says nothing about what they're going to have to follow in the future, then you have a much better chance. If it's only on the withdrawal agreement, I, then I everyone see, will vote okay. for it. I'd vote for it. If I it see that point. I, I see. I see your point there. I, I do see your point there. Um, I still don't think that it's going to be um, as binding as you think. And, and the other, the other thing. I that, think that's be very important. Because, let me. <laughs> the other sorry, thing that sorry. the other thing that um, so the other thing that worries me about the idea of introducing the political declaration into the uh, whole notion of a, of, a, of, a, of a people's vote is well, that that then, is, is that that then. Uh, that then leads us to the inexorable um, outcome that we then end up having another fucking referendum on the final uh, future arrangement. Oh well, you can have a referendum if you want on that, but it could, that oh, one can only be that, 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 that will be a cliff edge. That will be either that will that will actually be a cliff edge. Yeah, will, yeah which is a reason not to have a referendum. On, that's the point. Parliament would never give a referendum on that. It'll just have to swollow it, whatever it is. Well, that's I think it point. may well have to give a referendum on that. No, I very much. I don't think. I don't think. It, I don't think it would. But the, I think the bigger part, point for Parliament and the people on the political declaration is that the government promised that. Well, firstly, a promise that there would be a trade agreement completely done on the future relationship mm. by the end of the Article Fifty period, which we all knew was absolute absolute bullshit yeah. uh, two, two years ago when they promised that. But that's. But they promised that it would be clear. They promised that when we left the EU, it would be absolutely clear mm. what the future relationship was going to be. And if it isn't, 
uh, that needs to be voted against because they promised that it would be. Mm. Um, and that's where the polit- that's where the importance of the, the the political declaration comes in for MPs, but also for people. They were promised that they would know when we actually left. They would know what the future. There would be some certainty, and there's not. There'll only be twenty one months of certainty mm. uh, in the in the transition period if that happens, and th- that's not enough. That's mm. that's, that's not enough for the, for the economy. It's not enough for people's lives. Mm. And this is not what we were promised. And if that's the case, Parliament has to uh, react, as I said, uh, I think in a thread the other day, Parliament has to react as somebody who is being blackmailed by the cliff edge and not give yeah, in to the blackmail. I just don't have any faith in them to do that. That's my well, I mean, that's the... We could do all the rest of the pos- podcasts until then about yeah, that question because exactly. that's actually the central question, it is, isn't it? That, yeah. Bottom line. Well, now seems like a good moment for Live of the Week. I don't believe you. You're a liar. Okay, Chris, what's Lie of the Week this week? It's been a vintage week for lies. (laughs) Another vintage week for lies. Another vintage week. Um, well, my 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 personal my personal pick um, has to be the um, Secretary of State for Exiting the EU, Dominic Raab, who said that the EU um, has to be as pragmatic as the UK, or else they will have no deal. Um, <laughs> just, just the <laughs> sheer brass neck of him suggesting that. The UK is the model for pragmatism in this situation. It's just such depths of self-delusion. Nobody... They've made made proposals that are mutually... that cancel each other out, and they're saying that they're being pragmatic. But you know what this means? I mean, it it seems to me that, you know, let's get back to our core DNA. What what pragmatic means in in Rob-speak... It's cakeism, isn't it? By pragmatism, he means having your cake and eating itism. Yeah, he means accepting everything we yeah. asked for. Yeah. yeah, it means you dilute what makes you the EU and give us yeah. a better deal than we had during membership. Do you know what would be pragmatic? <sighs> to what save be really, us from shooting ourselves in the face. What would be really pragmatic is if you could agree to the backstop that you've already agreed to. <laughs> that would be pragmatic. As that's the main <laughs> thing standing in the way, standing between the UK and an utterly catastrophic no-deal Brexit, maybe just... <laughs> You know, doing what you said you would do would would be enough here, you know? Maybe that would be the pragmatic solution. Jesus. <laughs> I as pragmatic as the UK. Unbelievable. And I like, mm. look, look, guys, can you stop talking about the treaties? Look, anything written down can be written down differently if we want yeah. it to be... I mean, we don't have to worry about the flexibility, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, then, and then you and, get... And also your concept of rational self-interest, you know, I mean, God, do you have to, do you have to <sighs> go on about what's good for the EU all the time? And then you've got, and then you've got Jeremy Hunt popping up in Japan and, and giving a speech in Japanese to a Japanese audience talking about how, you know, we are two island nations. What binds us is, you know, our respect for the international rule of law and our support for the multilateral system. And I'm just thinking, Jesus Christ, have you looked at your fellow cabinet members? Yeah. I have to say, I'd forgotten that Jeremy Hunt was uh, was foreign secretary and then was embarrassed about it all over again when I was reminded today. 
I honestly, you know what? I, so you, you could put Basil Brush in there, and I'd still be happy after after Boris Johnson. You know? I yeah, mean, yeah. Honestly, absolutely. yeah, that is it is some small small comfort actually, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think that's a great. I think that's an excellent lie of the week. We've got a we've got a ancillary one here. Yeah, we've got which a few of this, which wasn't a lie. Yeah, so this isn't lie. It's a lie. It's an example of shocking <laughs> incompetence and ignorance. Do you want to describe this one? Yeah. So, um, Esther McVeigh. <laughs> Esther McVeigh, who, uh, whose qualification to be a cabinet minister seems to be that she was once on television. Um, so she would, there's a story in, in the Times um, from Sam Coates, which is that she, Esther McVeigh was apparently corrected by the Prime Minister during, during last week's cabinet meeting when Esther McVeigh had said, look, why don't we just leave the difficult bits of the withdrawal negotiation until after we've left and when we can deal with them during transition? <laughs> you know, the tricky bits like the Northern Ireland backstop. <laughs> just the idea that why don't we, you know, the transition, which you only get if you have a withdrawal agreement, will be a good moment at which we can then negotiate the withdrawal agreement. <laughs> oh, the, the, the circular, just the bizarre... I mean, you don't have to be... I mean, it would be nice if our cabinet uh, ministers were at least a little bit informed on how government works and how Europe works. I mean, you, you know, it'd be nice, what? but these days you don't... But, yeah, come on. The, yeah. the bare, the bare... The bare minimum. ...basic of logic, you know, to understand that you can't have a... You can't negotiate a withdrawal agreement when you've withdrawn. <laughs> that, wouldn't that be nice if... And she's been, ta she's been taking... Taking European politics lessons with Nadine Doris and Andrea Ledsamer. But I mean, you know, what does it say about the shocking, shocking level of, of, of the people who are, who are making these decisions for our country? Well, you know what? This is one, one possible tiny positive that may come out of, of Brexit is that the myth that senior politicians are smarter. Hmm. Than the rest of the population, you know. Well, did anybody ever has now be has has mm. now been has now been destroyed? You know, mm. these are not special people that have some incredible insight which mere mortals can't get anymore. Can't get, you know can't don't have access to. And I think actually maybe this is going to be a maybe this is a positive thing. Maybe maybe uh, maybe the maybe it's been shown that the emperors have really do have no clothes. Well, I mean, I'm, but, but really, I mean, you, nevertheless, you think that people who get to that level, I mean, you, you know, you, you know, the governing board of a major multinational, like, <laughs> yeah. you, you'd think that they had, you know, a bare minimum of brains. But, I mean, these people are genuinely stupid. I mean, yeah, they are genuinely yeah. thick. I don't, I don't think I actually know in real life anybody who's quite that stupid. I mean, well, no, of course not. We know mainly civil servants, not politicians. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you know, I'm an elitist metropolitan liberal Ramona, so I, I don't actually know thick people like that. But, I mean, you know, this is Oh, no, thick. come on. It's not Come on, it's not about that. A, a, a plasterer in, in South Shields, where I'm from, who I, you know, who I, who I grew up with, would look at that and go, what the fuck are you talking about? Come on, this is not... This is not a cla this is not a class thing. This is a uh, this is and it's not it, it it's not even an IQ thing. It's a gobsmackingly stupid and willfully uninformed thing. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know what it is, but it's it's um it's it's pretty depressing, honestly. Well, on that hugely <sighs> depressing note, 
Can we just um, can we just mention Bernard Jenkin? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> just really quickly. Go on. Bernard Jenkin. There's no one listening now anyway, so go on. So Bernard Jenkin, um, who is um, a member of the European Research Group, hardcore Brexiteer, um, went on Rick the radio. Hicks. Yeah, Crackpot. long-term anti-European nutter, went on radio this morning and said that... In Ireland. Oh, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. This is oh, not a different RTE, one. No. This is a different no, one. No, a different one. This is a different one. This is on the Today programme. This is Bernard Jenkin, not the other guy. This is Bernard oh. Jenkin who said that... Um, do you know what? He he actually never really wanted to leave the EU. He wanted to change Christ. it from within. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We just wanted to wreck it from within, and we didn't actually want to leave the EU. You know, I mean, they're you know rare utterance. But I mean, I don't even think that's true. I think that is a lie. I don't. He did want to leave the yeah, EU. Yeah, I don't think. I think yeah. But you know, well, wasn't it the, the, the rats like, leaving the sinking ship? Oh no, well, exactly, it was nothing to do with me. Exactly. The rats is leaving the sinking ship. Absolutely. I know. And as the rats leave the sinking ship, we too shall leave you. Yes. So. Thank you very much for listening. Um, well done if you got this far. Yeah. And um, and we'll be back next week. Um, suggest- suggestions on a postcard for what you want to... Uh, well, I mean, on a postcard, a tweet. Um, for what you... Uh, for the kind of things you'd, you'd like us to, to... Themes you'd like us to cover. Uh, we're, we're, we're open to this. Yeah. And, you know, next week, 25th episode. Quarter century. 25th episode, yeah. Absolutely. Who ever thought we would get this far? Yeah. Certainly not me. <laughs> well, thanks very much, everybody. And... Uh, good night or good day wherever you're listening good night Steve right. good night Chris take care bye bye